It doesn't matter the temperature, you know, but I know with it being a little bit warmer, so uh, that's great. Thank you. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. If you're here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, uh, which, great to see the Coleman's back. Yeah, we're so glad. I mean, like, it's not like I'm glad to see Triple Crown Barbecue shut down, because we love it, but I always love seeing your guys' faces here, so thank you. Um, we, but if you're here for the first time or for, for first time in a while, we've been working our way through Galatians, and we're uh, going to be starting the last chapter, Galatians chapter number six. Last week, we closed out Galatians five, where the Apostle Paul was, was talking about this battle that was raging within us. And it was a battle of the flesh, or the battle of the spirit, and it happens inside of us. And he said, but I, I can tell you, you can know who's winning that battle. Because he gives us two lists in Galatians 5 that we covered last week. The acts of the flesh, or the fruit of the spirit. For those who follow their fleshly appetites, their, their lives, it's easy to mark them. There's immorality, there's idolatry, there's hatred, there's division. In many cases, there's addictions. But for those who are following the Spirit, their lives are marked with love, joy, gentleness, goodness, patience, kindness. And we came to the end of chapter 5 last week, and, and there's this break after verse 26. But I, I really, you know, I really don't think it fits in there because what Paul's doing is after he explains to the Galatians the fruit of the Spirit, he immediately turns to start applying the fruit. Like, so now that you have it, this is what we do with it. But it's, it's so interesting. If you would just look at, the, uh, look at the last couple of verses of chapter 5, as we jump into uh, chapter 6, just these last few verses say, those who this is verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So he's talking about the flesh. He said, if you're following Jesus, you've crucified the flesh, right? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, so he's saying, if you've crucified the flesh, you're, you're living in the Spirit. Now keep up with the Spirit. And this is why it's important to keep up with the Spirit. He says, because well, what we tend to do when we follow the Spirit, if we're not careful, we will look at how others are or are not following the Spirit. And he says in verse 26, he says, let, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's like as we, as we, he said, you're following the Spirit. As you follow the Spirit, hey, let's do this. Focus on you following the Spirit. Don't focus on everybody else and how they're following the Spirit. Otherwise, two things might happen. You'll become conceited saying, well, I'm following the Spirit better than you are. That doesn't help. Or you could become envious and say, oh, man, I'm not following the Spirit like they are and become very discouraged. So Paul's saying, hey, let me draw this line in the sand. Okay, if you're going to follow the flesh, this is what your life is going to be marked with. If you're going to follow the Spirit, this is what your life's going to be marked with. Now let me talk about following the Spirit. And it's like he turns his attention away from the, those who are in the flesh. And sometimes that's what we have to understand. We're, we're looking at in Scripture, you come here to church and you're really struggling to follow the Lord. And you're like, man... It seems like he's only talking to the spiritual people, and that's never an intention, but the Bible is written to those who desire the things of the Spirit. If you struggle to open up your Bible in the morning and say, I never get anything out of this, don't forget there's that battle raging. And that flesh is always wanting to pull you that way. It's a conscious effort to follow the Spirit. 
And, and, and my guess is you would know this, but the main reason people won't walk into a building like this, and this is not the church, you're the church, very clear about that, right? You're the church, this is a building, but the main reason people won't walk into a building is because either they say, I'm not good enough, I, I don't do what those people do, or they say, I am good enough, I, I don't need, I don't need it. Not with, not with like, I don't think it's important, but like, I don't need it right now. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Hey, as you follow the Spirit, don't become conceited. Don't become envious. You follow the Spirit just the way he's asking you to. Now, he's going to start in chapter 6, although I don't really feel like there's this break necessary, but he's going to start in chapter 6, and he's going to start talking to those who are following the Spirit alone. Because he says brothers and sisters. He's not talking to every person in the world. He's talking to believers. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. In some ways, I would love to just spend our entire time on this verse because it is full of, of depths and layers. But I'm going to give you the condensed version because what Paul's going to do, what we're going to do today is we're going to take chapter 6, the first 10 verses, and we're going to look at how Paul talks about loving your neighbor. Because if you remember, if you've been here with this study through Galatians, the whole thing's about the law. And Paul said in Galatians 5, right in the middle of Galatians 5, if you want to talk about fulfilling the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And after he says that, he says, and I'm going to tell you, now you ask the flesh, you're not caring about loving your neighbor. Those who are following the Spirit, this is how you love your neighbor with those fruits of the Spirit that are growing in you. So if you're someone that says, I really want, I really want to love people, the way God wants me to love people, this is for you today. And here's basically the condensed version of, of, of verse one. Loving your neighbor means addressing ongoing sin and gently restoring the broken one to their place in the family. Now again, remember, Paul has like turned aside from those who are this acts of the flesh. He, he's not, and this is so key to understand where we're going. He is not calling the sinner to repentance. He's telling the spiritual, you go restore. So it's, like, it's not like saying, get off, come on, come back to the Lord. He's talking to people who are following the Lord saying, you go get those who are not following the Lord. And that's, that's key to this chapter. He, he's not calling the sinner to repentance. He's calling the spiritual to, address, to, to, to bring them back to restoration. And I think it's key because what Paul is doing is, is not, not only is he saying, you know, those who are not following the Spirit don't really care about conviction, so it's no good to talk to them. He's also trying to give a pattern for churches from this point on in, in Galatia, all the rest. So this is a pattern for us to know what to do. When we have a brother or a sister who is caught in sin, and the word caught doesn't mean like I discovered them, like, oh, this, hey, look at what I found them doing. You gotta think of a trap. When you step into a trap, you weren't expecting to step into a trap. You stepped into a trap, but you got caught. Now you can't free yourself. You're entangled. We're looking to try to find brothers and sisters who have found themselves in a place in their life where they cannot 
help themselves get out. So they need someone who is spiritual to come to them and help release them from the trap that they were caught in sin and to, as Paul says, restore them. When he uses the word restore, the the, the word restore at the time Paul wrote this would simply mean putting a bone back in place. It's what, what, what restore means. So you all know, I think most of you saw Trevor the last couple of weeks here on crutches limping around because Trevor, he broke his leg uh, playing soccer. But the, the doctor told us that if all he had done was broke his leg, they wouldn't have had to do this major surgery that was required. The major surgery that was required in Trevor's leg was the fact that the bone where, where, the, where the leg bone came down on top of the ankle joint, it was off. So they had to screw through the bone to pull the other bone back. And the whole purpose was they want to get that joint back in place. We're the body of Christ, right? You know that when you, if you had a bone out of joint, you know it would cause pain to the whole body. As the church, what we're supposed to understand is when we have a brother or a sister who's caught in sin, it is supposed to affect us. It's not supposed to be like, oh, and that's really sad that they're doing that. They shouldn't be doing it. No, no, no. That should hurt us. It should hurt us. And I don't mean like look down on them. Remember, we're not supposed to be conceited. We're not supposed to look down and say, I can't believe you would do that. No, it's supposed to hurt us to the point where we want to go restore them, put them back in place so that the body can once again find healing and be useful again. There's one other time in the New Testament where this word restore is used, and it's when the disciples are mending their nets. So think about that. They're mending broken nets. Why? To make them fully useful again. My guess is some of you fishermen, uh, Dave, I know you fish, fish all the time. Some of you fishermen, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a net with a hole in it and uh, you caught a fish and tried to bring it up and that fish went right through the net. I don't know. I've never done that. But that fishing with a, with a, with a hole in your net is not very helpful. That's why you want to restore that, that net. And that's what we as spiritual people following the Spirit need to look at brothers and sisters who are struggling, who are caught in some sort of sin and can't release themselves. We go to them. That, that, means, that means their church family here. That means our church family is way more important than just gathering on a Sunday morning to sing together. That means we, we need a church family who when we fall will come after us. That means we, we need to be the church family who will go after someone who is stuck and, and caught in sin. And, and you do understand, I really want to make sure you know this, you do understand when Paul said in verse 1, those of you who live by the Spirit are to do this, he was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to the elders and the pastors. It's not your pastor's job alone to go after people in sin. It's our responsibility as we follow the Spirit to go after them together. The church is valuable. And so here's the thing. If you believe you can live a faithful Christian life apart from a faith family, you're only fooling yourself. 
There are, there are believers all over the world today that they know that churches are gathering and in their mind they think, I don't need that, I'm fine. Maybe today you are, but there will be a day when you're not and you need relationships, people who can come speak into your life when you have no desire to listen to the Spirit, spiritual people to come step into your life and help you be restored to where God desires you to be. I just think, I think church, and, and, and as a pastor, I'm not standing up here saying this because I want so many people here. I, I just, I've started to understand more and more and more and more fully that church is not about showing up on Sunday morning. Church is about getting involved in people's lives every hour of every day when necessary. We need to be spirit-led people who help those caught and trapped in sin. Paul takes that, continues this. Now he goes into verse number two. So if you look at verse number two, he's talking now about spirit-filled people who are not just helping those in sin, but now helping those who are stuck under a burden. Look at verse number two. He says, carry each other's burdens. He's still talking to spirit-led people. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, we gotta stop right there. You remember why Galatians was written? It's all about fulfilling the law. But which law did the Jews think needed to be kept? The law of Moses. Paul now says, as you're going to carry each other's burdens, you're going to fill the, fulfill the law of Christ. And here's what we have to understand. He's not saying you're going to fulfill the law of Jesus. Jesus and Christ are not parallel. He's saying you are going to fulfill the law of the Messiah. The one God promised in the Old Testament that would one day come, that Messiah would come, that Christ figure would come, and who that Christ figure was, his name was Jesus. He was the Son of God. But this is the law of the Messiah, and the law of the Christ, the law of the Messiah is carry one another's burdens. Wait, wait. So you're saying Jesus, Jesus gave a different law? We'll get there in a second. But what Paul's saying is, as you carry one another's burdens, you're going to fulfill a different law. You're going to fulfill the law of Christ, not the law of Moses, the law of the Messiah. And look at verse 3. He says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to delve into that. But, but here's, the, here's the summary Loving your neighbor, being spirit-led and loving your neighbor means giving help towards their burdens and receiving help for your burdens. So let's, let's, let's think about this, this law of Christ. This law, law of Christ is it's what Jesus gave at the Last Supper. And, and, and what Paul is saying now is the call of believers is not to fulfill the Ten Commandments of Moses, but to live out the new commandment of the Messiah. Now, what's this new commandment? In John chapter 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, a new command I give you. New command. A new commandment I give you. What's that new command? It's not to fulfill the Sabbath. Love one another 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if you're following the Spirit, we're commanded now to love one another as the Christ loved us. And how did the Christ loved us? By taking our burden of sin upon himself and giving us his weightless burden of righteousness and draping it over our shoulders. That's the law of the Messiah. That is the law of Christ. And that's how we are to live with one another. And so carrying one another's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're fulfilling the law of the Messiah. And he doesn't place any qualifier on what kind of a burden it may be. There are people in this room who have the burden of mental illness, financial burdens, physical illness, Addictions and family crises. And basically what we're being told by Paul is if you see a brother or sister under a burden, then you go love them and carry their burden with them. And you say, well, well that would make sense. Why, why wouldn't we? I'm going to back up and I'm going to put these other, uh, put those verses back up. In verse three, it says, if anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive them themselves. So, so what Paul is saying is like, if you think you're something important, you're not going to stop to help someone in need. It takes us immediately to this parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan? There were two religious people going to do religious things who didn't have time to help somebody truly in need. They weren't fulfilling the law of the Messiah. Oh, they might have been fulfilling the law of Moses. But they weren't fulfilling the law of the Messiah. And sometimes it's very easy for us to think, well, if I go to church, I'm, I'm doing it. And I, Penny, I remember you telling me a couple of years, about two or three years ago, you, tell, you told me, I think you and Brooke were on your way to church. And, and you were maybe either going to get there right on time or maybe just a little bit late. And you saw someone on the side of the road, just right up the, right up the street. And you pulled over and you stopped to help them. And you got, you, I think you had to take them into town and get them some gas. And you came back here a lot later to church than what you were expecting. But yet it was like that was so fulfilling for you. And the whole thing was, it's okay if you're late to church, if you're helping somebody that needs help. What do you think Christ wants us to do? You think he wants us just to gather and sing about loving other people as we drive past them? Oh, but Penny, I've, I've, I've thought of that so many times. Like, I'm the pastor. What would happen if I was 20 minutes late to church, but I came in and saying, I helped somebody that needed help? What would you want me to do, pastor? That's how we need to live. But we won't do that if, if, if we think we're too important to be able to help someone. That's why Paul says you each need to test your own actions. Otherwise, we think too much of ourselves. We'll take pride in ourselves. You might have, might, might have ever heard the, the illustration of Muhammad Ali when he was initially uh, was starting, to t starting to get that national fandom. And he, he went on a plane and he sat down on a, on a plane and the stewardess walked by. I don't know if she knew him or not, but uh, she said, it's time to buckle your seatbelts and he wouldn't buckle a seatbelt and she walked up to him in this big strong physique and said sir you need to buckle your seatbelt this little stewardess said that and he said to her superman don't need no seatbelt and she looked at him and said superman don't need no plane either <laughs> so if you're gonna go on this plane buckle up you know, like he could think he's Superman and I don't need a seatbelt, but Superman isn't going to be taking the plane anywhere. He gets there himself. So buckle up, pal. And uh, so sometimes we could think, well, I'm a pretty good person because I showed up for church. 
I don't know. I love, don't you love the Gospels as you read the story of Jesus, how often he was on his way somewhere, but he just stopped on the way to help people along the way? Man, that's, that's what our calling is to be. But then there's this, this question. So, so, so right at the very end of this verse behind me, though, there's this question. Because it, it tells us at the beginning, carry each other's burdens, right? Those are the first four words of the verses behind me. Carry each other's burdens. But look at the last line. Each one should carry their own load. That almost seems contradictory. Carry their burdens. Carry your own load. So am I supposed to carry my burden? Carry my load? Carry your burden? Carry... And what we have to understand is what, what Paul is giving them is, is these are two different weights. A burden, uh, let me start with a load. A load would be like a backpack that was on you. It was a part of your person. You, everywhere you went, this backpack went. That's your load. A load is something that no one else can carry for you. For example, we have parents in this room. Hey, being a parent is your load to carry. And what I mean by that is no one else can carry that for you. You're a dad. Nobody else gets to be dad. It means you need to make the time to be dad. You're a mom. You have to be mom. No one else can be your child's mother. And that may mean great sacrifices for you. That's a load sometimes you have to carry. You're a student. You know what your load is as a student? You go to bed on time so you can wake up on time. I know that sounds so dumb. But so many students want to stay up so late that they're tired in the morning when they get to school and they don't listen, they, they, don't, they don't retain well, and so they struggle academically because they stayed up too late because they don't carry their own load. No one else can go to sleep for you and get rest for you. No one else can obey your mom and dad. That's your load to carry. No one else can do it for you. And parents, it's our job to help our children carry their loads. We need to train them how to carry their loads. That's your load. That's your responsibility. No one else can do it for you. But you know what happens is sometimes we look at our loads, especially those of us who maybe, maybe are, are leading someone in, or you have a business that you run. Sometimes we, we take those loads that are given to us and we put so much in them that we can't carry our own load. Be careful church be careful how much you try to carry your calling men is to be a husband and a father i don't find anywhere in the scriptures where you're called to be a businessman or a business owner or, or, or a career executive Ladies, your calling is to be that wife and to be that, that mother. And whatever happens with your career, that should come secondary to the true load that you have been given. And sometimes we can't carry our primary load because we spend too much time putting other things in our backpacks. But the burden is a little bit different. The burden is not something we carry day to day. The burden would be like this. The burden would be a man who has been given a backpack to be a parent but he loses his wife. Now all of a sudden, that becomes a burden that others come to help with. A burden is, is somebody getting older in age who can't do what they want to do, can't do what they used to do, and, and they're doing as much as they can, but they're under a burden that family is called to come under first, and then church is called to come with them. 
Burden is someone like, and I know, I know I've mentioned it twice recently, but the young man named Jeremy, and, and Jeremy and his, his family just recently buried their mom, and, and, and he reached out to, to Gordon and to, to the office this week to say, hey, we have a bill that needs to get paid, and we can't afford it. That's, that's where we would come. Someone who's placed under a burden, and we help carry that burden. I can't carry the load of living without a mom. I can't carry that load, but I can come help carry the burden. But here's the thing, and I think you understand this. One of the greatest barriers, sorry, I'm going to catch back up. One of the greatest barriers to living out what we're called to do in Galatians 6 by carrying each other's burdens is the pride of Christians. And I, what I don't mean is we're too proud to help. What I do mean is we're often too proud to ask for help. We're too there's too much pride to say, I'm hurting. There's too much pride to say, I need help. And we wait until the burden is so almost buried us. Hey, this is family, church, right? We're a family. Families love one another. Families care for, families want to help one another. Please don't say, I don't, I'm too embarrassed to ask for help. That's why we're here, right? Jimmy, two weeks ago, you stood right here and you said, I didn't want to say anything, but I said something to one person. He said something to one person in this church, and he was surrounded by dozens of people who said, ha, one of our brothers is in need. Let's help. That's what we get to do as a church day after day and day after day. Let me go on, verse number six, because Paul gets a little bit personal here. He applies the spirit-led life to our, our resources and our possessions. Verse number six, he says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So if I could summarize this, basically what Paul is saying here about loving your neighbors, loving your neighbor means generously sharing your resources for the mission of Christ and the mission of the church. I'm going to be honest, there's, there's a bit of me that as I was preparing this, I'm like, this is going to sound a little bit discomforting because I don't want you to think I'm talking about this specific church or about this specific pastor or Pastor Mike. No, we're not talking about this church, but Christians need to understand this because what, what Paul's doing is Paul's going to bat for the spiritual leaders in this, in this area of Galatia. And he's telling these church members you need solid biblical teaching because you have already been tricked by false teachers who are trying to take you towards Judaism. You need someone who's going to dedicate themselves to studying the scriptures and bringing you the truth of the word. And so as they carry your spiritual burdens, you take all your good things that I have blessed you with, you take all of your resources, and you help carry their physical burdens burdens like i think you would understand this i can't do what i'm doing right now if you don't put money in the offering plates it takes me about 12 to 15 hours to prepare a sunday morning sermon you help pay my salary to do that teaching the bible is not the most important thing i do as a pastor but to me it is one of the most crucial things the word and the prayer are the two elements of, of elders in Scripture. And so, man, this is huge to me, but I can only do this because 
of your generosity. And you take very good care of Jamie and myself. So I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say you're not. But I do know that what's happening in, in Christianity is we're seeing generation after generation who, of Christians who are simply becoming consumers of the church. They show up, but they don't serve. They take, but they won't give. All of their goods go towards themselves. This is not me making up this fact. Western Christianity gives 2% of their income towards the mission of Christ. 2%. And that makes sense because we live in really nice houses, we drive really nice cars, and it takes our missionaries three years to get to a field with the gospel. I mean, let's think about that. Micah Griffith stood right here and said, I want to go to Poland to tell people about Jesus. And we cheered for him and we clapped for him and we were so, we hated losing him or we're so excited for him, but he's going to spend the next couple years likely trying to raise enough money to get to the mission field to tell people about Jesus. Because often Christians have become consumers of the church. And so, and so Paul's just, and that's all I want to say about that. Because, because, I, because I think there's, there's, this, there's this angst in me that as a pastor, I, I just want you to so clearly know I'm not talking about you taking care of me and I'm not talking about you taking care of Pastor Mike. You do take care of us so well, right? So well. But man, like just think if we, if we had enough money coming in to give to the missionaries that, that want to get to the field to just say, get there, go. Take, the, take it. It's all good. We're behind you. And we need to decide as a church that loving, loving our neighbor as ourselves means we share our resources for the mission. Finally, let me, in closing these last, last couple of verses, Paul gets practical about good works. Look, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I need to pause right here and, and, and explain this. Paul's giving this law, and you all are familiar with the law of reaping and sowing. You're not gonna, something's not going to grow if you don't plant it. But Paul brings an eternal, eternal, eternal perspective to this. If you reap to the flesh, you're going to find destruction. And like our immediate thought may be, oh, well, he must mean like bad things are going to happen in your life if you just live for the flesh. And there's some truth to that. There's definitely some temporary destructive nature in our, in our lives when we live for the flesh. But when Paul comes over and he talks about living towards the spirit, he doesn't say, if you don't, you're going to get all these blessings. No, no. He says, if you reap to the spirit, or if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. So you see how this is an eternal perspective Paul's bringing. But what Paul's not saying is if you reap to the Spirit, your reward is eternal life. He's not trying to say that. He's trying to say you will never follow the Spirit without the Spirit inside of you. That means if, if you're reaping always towards the flesh, you don't have the Spirit in you having any desire to follow Christ. And if, if you have no Spirit inside of you, you will face eternal destruction one day. But if you do have the Spirit inside of you, you will find one day you will reap eternal life. Now, why does he say that? Because he's going to say, but the reaping is hard. Notice these last couple of verses. 
Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so, if I could just just summarize this, what what Paul's saying is loving your neighbor means means continuing in this earthly mission even when you get weary because our eyes are fixed on eternity. You know, I I love that because, no, Haley, 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 stay there. Because, Because here's the thing, that little baby's cry right there, we need that. We need to hear that because that baby is only, that, that baby's cry is all about one thing, me. Take care of me. Something's wrong with me. I, I want to feel better and I'll stop crying when you care for me. But you know what? That's how many Christians live today. Take care of me. Take care of me. Take care of me. Take care of me. Oh, it's too hard to do that. Oh, I, I, I'm so weary when I do good things. And Paul's trying to say through the, through the impact of the Holy Spirit, hey, yes, doing good is going to tire you out. Doing good is going to make you weary. But don't give up. Because it's not about now. It's about eternity. It's about what is to come. I mean, John Coleman, if I could share what John just said, he came up and shook my hand in between, and he said, you know, Brian, I, I thought about this. He said, you know, as you were asking all these generations to speak, he's like, you reached a point where there were no more generations to call on. There were no more hundred or older. But you know what? There's people who are no longer here who prayed for you before they even knew you. That's us having an eye fixed on eternity, but realizing I'm called in this earthly moment to do good works because it is to love people. That's the law of the Messiah, but loving people is so tiring. But I know my reward is eternal life, and that's coming. And that's where I must fix my eyes. When a farmer gets done planting all day long, he's tired. But he can go home and know at the right time when the growing season is done I'll find a harvest for me and I'm sorry to be personal on this but for me yesterday Jamie sitting with Jamie right here on these front two seats watching my son marry the love of his life that was a bit of of reaping the harvest that was, that was a lot of a lot of sowing seeds a lot of work and I wrote my son a, a, a letter and gave it to him the night before he got married and I just put a couple of pages of, of my thoughts to him and letting him know I'm proud of him and I love him and I'm excited about what his future is and he sent me a note on Saturday morning and I, I told him outside of your mom saying something to me no one has ever said more meaningful words than what you told me and at some point like it hit me like i'm investing into my son and i get to see it come wow imagine what our heavenly father as he's pouring into us realizing i'm I'm, i want my children to follow me i 
I want them to, to love one another. And, and imagine what he sees when his investment in your lives through, through his son coming and, and going to a cross and sending the Holy Spirit back to us. When he sees his investment of reaping in us, of sowing in us, come to this harvest as you love people. I promise you, as you love people, your heavenly father is pleased. So can I encourage you, keep doing good even when it gets weary. Gently address those away from the Lord. Lovingly carry the weighty burdens of others. Generously support the mission of the church and faithfully work with eternity in mind. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to do this because I asked you to do this. I'm asking you to do this because this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He carried our burden of sin that we could not carry of ourselves. He carried it for us. He supports us by sending the Holy Spirit to provide all that we need to complete the mission of the church. And he said, hey, for those of you who I've started the work in, I've started the work in you and I will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll complete it. He's working with eternity in mind for each of us in here. May we do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, my heart is, is tender right now when I think of sonship. And, and no doubt that my heart is, is, is thinking of Troy and, Lord, the life that, that awaits him. And, and Lord, as, as you, as, as I look at you as the father knowing that, that each of us are your children. We're your sons and daughters, and you have loved us and invested in us and cared for us so much. And Lord, you call us to follow your spirit, not, not arrogantly, not enviously, just, just follow the spirit. And Lord, as we do, you will bring us into, into connection with those who, have, who are struggling in sin, and Lord, you want us to gently address that. You'll bring us into contact as we follow the Spirit with people who are facing burdens they cannot carry themselves. Lord, as, as we follow the Spirit, you'll give us opportunities to give of the resources that you have blessed us with. May, may we not be selfish with that. May we give. And Lord, you, you told us there's going to be weariness in following. There, there's going to be a struggle. It's not always going to be easy, but it's well worth it because eternity is in mind. Lord, you gave everything to bring us to yourself. Lord, may we be willing to lay everything on the altar for you. If you're here today with your heads bowed and eyes closed and you don't know Jesus, if you've never been introduced to who the true Messiah is, the one that came to deliver you from the sin that would crush you, the sin that would cause eternal separation, the sin that would bring destruction to your life, he came to deliver you from that by delivering himself over to sinful people to be placed on a cross. Man, you're so good. That Messiah would love to be your deliverer. He'd love to be your personal Messiah. If you want to know more about that, I'll, I'll be at the back door. I would love to share that news, that good news with you. But for those of you who know this Messiah, those of you who know Jesus, are you following the Spirit? 
Are you carrying your load? Whose burden have you gotten under recently to help them carry theirs? That's our call. And I bet there's some people in here, you're thinking, I'm just tired. It's been a long, I've just been doing this so long. Or I've just given so much of myself to the last person I help, I'm weary. Now take a season, find rest, that's what Jesus offers. But don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. There is a harvest time awaiting you.